Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to a very, very special episode of The Cool Room, episode 153, uh, in which we'll be talking to Schlenkeler, live from Bamberg in Germany. Uh, it's a great episode, uh, so much fun, and so grateful to both uh, the team from Schlenkeler and also Phoenix Beers, which is their importer here in Australia, for setting this one up with us. Uh, it's a great conversation, so much uh, new information to learn and just really fun stories along the way as well. Uh, lots of new people joined us live in the Zoom room on a Thursday night for this episode. We love it when people do that. Uh, hopefully lots of new listeners as well uh, brought in by having such a big name as Schlenkeler on the show. If you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, please do so. That's a great way uh, to support the podcast and keep up to date with our live online events, uh, of which there are some really fun ones coming up. Uh, we're going to be joined by Double Vision from New Zealand, by Bright from Victoria, Australia, and a few others as well. And we also do live in the flesh events. And for anyone who's a fan of German beers, uh, you'll be very familiar with the name Weinstefan. We've had them on as uh, online guests a couple of times during COVID. We're going to do a live in the flesh event uh, in Melbourne at Federation Square Beer Deluxe uh, on November the 10th. Just $30 to get into that, uh, and that includes uh, at least four beers. Uh, it's going to be a really, really fun one and a great way to show your support of the podcast uh, and the team that brings it to you. As is visiting our Shopify store. Uh, just search for Cool Room Shopify and you can always grab the beers from the brews that we're talking to. It's a great way of making sure you get to experience the podcast to the fullest extent. No better example of that than our conversation with Schlenkler, uh, where the beers are just so iconic and so unique and distinctive. Uh, so if you are in Australia and you want to have those beers in front of you while you listen to the podcast, uh, please jump onto our Shopify and we'll get them home delivered to you. Okie dokie, without any further ado, let me start to introduce my good friend Warren Wu and get underway with today's fantastic episode. Well, hello and welcome to episode 153 of The Cool Room, uh, a super, super exciting event for us tonight uh, for the podcast, which is based here in Melbourne, Australia, not only joined by people from right around Australia, but as we've just seen in the chat, people from right around the world, a big welcome to our friends who are joining from Sweden, our friends who are joining from America, our friends who are joining us live from South Africa. And most excitingly of all, in a few moments' time, my friend Warren Wu will introduce our very special guest from Germany. I can't tell you how honoured and excited I am to have Schlenkler on online with us tonight. This is the first brewery outside of Australia that I ever visited, and so it holds a very, very special place in my heart. These beers bring back memories as only tastes and smells uh, can do. They just take me absolutely back to my first visit to Germany. Uh, Warren Wu, first of all, how are you? Are you enjoying the Melbourne sunshine? Uh, spring is here and life is good in Melbourne today. 
Yeah, it's been a wonderful day. It's it's um yeah, it's uh, as opposed to all our other guests who are probably in a little bit cooler and darker parts of the world. Yeah, Melbourne was really brilliant. Um, yeah, a lot of people out and about I've noticed, which is really great. Um, and it's yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, it's uh, but but more excitingly, it's great to have a guest from the other side of the world, which is which is excellent. So we're speaking to Matthias Trump, the brewmaster and and the owner of Schlenkler. Um, we're super excited to have have him on board, and we're also extremely lucky to have him as a as a tour guide to show us around the the great operation and what what makes such an amazing brewery. Um, so first of all, welcome, Matthias. Hi, thank you very much for having me and uh, for giving me the opportunity to tell a little bit about the historic smoke style here at Schlenkala. Um, yeah, as I said, extremely excited to have a look around. Um, for the for the sake of the podcast itself, uh, the what I'm looking at is you standing in front of uh, lengths of timber, which look like they are they're destined for the kiln, which which um, gives gives Schlenkler beers their 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 remarkable and very distinct distinct flavor um maybe let's let's would you look i'm happy to be led by you if you'd like to go around and start and show us around your 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 operation that would be amazing and um yeah we can ask a few questions as we see different things that catch our eye okay um First of all, uh, hello to everybody from down under and from around the planet. I find it amazing what's now technologically possible that we can stream from our historic maltings all across the planet. And thank you for the interest in the historic smoke beer style. My name is Matthias Trum. Um, I run the Schlenkerler Smoke Beer Brewery in the sixth family generation. So quite some history on the family part there already. And um, I'm a little bit of a beer historian as well. So uh, please indulge me. I will tell you a little bit on the history of smoke beer and what's so unique about Schlenkerler mm-hmm. and, and the specialty. Um, to uh, explain a little bit, we cannot do an entire brewery tour because we don't have Wi-Fi everything, uh, everywhere here. Uh, the brewery is a couple of hundred years old and it extends over several uh, uh, levels. Um, mainly we have rock cellars underneath the brewery with a beer slager, mm-hmm. but apparently 20 meters underground, there's no Wi-Fi access. So um, I'm going to show you, um, yeah, 600 years ago when all that thing was started, nobody thought of electricity or Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Or anything. Mm-hmm. Not even the Germans. I am very, Not even the Germans did that. Um, so um, I'm going to show you the most important part uh, of Schlenkerla, the uh, smoke kiln. That's where all the flavor or most of the flavor comes from. Mm-hmm. And um, as I said, after that, we're going to move to my office and then we can talk about everything else. Um, I think the most important part about when, when you talk about beer is that you're not running dry. So I think we should start with having um, a little bit of the classic medicine uh, mm. health beer. So I think most of the group have it. Um, I brought my favorite bottle opener, a um, little tricky here. So whenever you come to, to Schwenkala in, in, in Germany, um, uh, the, the restrooms have a Star Trek door. So keep a uh, lookout for that. <laughs> but that's just on the side. <clears throat> so I hope you can see that. Mm. Pours a very dark brown uh, with a relatively clear head. And so I say cheers to everybody. 
Let's have a sip first, and then we talk a little bit about smoking and history. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. So Delicious. I suppose you notice the strong, unmistakable, smoky aroma and flavor. Mm. It's a very defined uh, aroma. Um, some people compare it to smoked ham or smoked sausages. But in fact, smoked beer is older than uh, smoked ham and smoked sausages, but we get into that. Um, when you don't like the flavor at the first sip, and that's to the entire audience, um, smoked beer is something of an acquired taste. And there's an old proverb in Bamberg that you have to drink three pints to fully acquire the flavor. So luckily we have three pints today for you to sample. So at the end of the day, you know whether you're gonna be a smoked beer connoisseur or not. Um, I hope you enjoy it. So cheers again. Mm. Feel free to type your comments into the chat as we go. Welcome to the Netherlands as well. Great to have you online with us tonight. Uh, go on, you. <laughs> Just say hello to the Netherlands. Um, okay, so the special thing about Schlenkerla is we're not only a brewery and a brewery pub, we're also a malting operation. Um, most breweries today get their malt from big industry malt companies, mm. but traditionally this was different. Traditionally, all the breweries were preparing malt themselves. Um, this can still be seen when you uh, become a brewer in Germany. When you do an apprenticeship here, Germany has a very elaborate apprenticeship system for, for all the craft professions, meaning you work two to three years in, in, uh, in a craft and you go to school uh, accompanying it. And um, the profession is still called brewer and maltster. It's not just called brewer. This is because the malt is so essential for the flavor of the final beer. And Schlenkerle um, is one of the breweries that still has its own malting operation. And the special thing uh, with us is that we have a smoke malt operation. So here behind me, you see beechwood logs. <clears throat> this is the common tree we use for kilning our malt. And if the camera moves over, I can show you how the kiln actually works. So here we have the fire inside. We can actually add another log. So this is what my staff does basically around today. We take these circular meter long uh, logs from the beachwood, and then we just put them inside the oven. And over there, you can see that the camera is actually quite smoky here. And so down here, you have uh, an open fire. And what happens during the malting process? It's first, the grain, um, we use barley. Uh, um, most, most beers are made with barley malt. The grain is first steamed in water. Um, by that, it soaks up the water and becomes moist. Then it starts to sprout, to grow. That's the same that happens when you um, spread out uh, grain in the field. And uh, it germinates for roughly one week. And at the end of the germination, the malt needs to be dried in order to stop the germination and to make it storable. Mm -hmm. And historically, there was only two ways of drying malt. Either you dry it out in the sun or you dry it over an open fire. And when you dry malt over an uh, open fire, it's unavoidable that the smoke from the fire goes into the malt and gives it a smoky aroma and flavor. And this was the principle or the only way of making malt and beer 
until like 400 years ago. Pure has been around for 10,000 years. It's one of the oldest nourishments of mankind, pure and fresh. Um, I'm talking a little bit about that later on. Um, and the drying of mold here in Central Europe, where the climate is moist, was always done with open fire. And um, this was the standard until the beginning of the industrialization in the 17th century. Um, some of you might know that the industrialization started in Great Britain in the mid 17th century with the invention of the steam engine. Um, Great Britain was one of the first countries or the first country to uh, uh, harvest oil, uh, not oil, uh, to harvest coal on a larger scale. And the problem is, I'm closing this a little bit because I think it's a little bit too loud in the background. <laughs> Um, it's actually like, quite, Mateus, it's actually quite lovely hearing the fire crackle like that. It's, it's okay. a real, oh, no, 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 it's all right, close it, no. We'd much, we'd also like to hear from you too, of course. Oh, that's okay, that's okay. I just going to speak a little bit louder, no problem. So, um, England uh, had a problem in the 17th century. England had cut down much of the forest um, for shipbuilding, for colonization. I'm not sure whether uh, wood was also transported back from uh, colonies like Australia, but definitely from North, North America. And England was uh, dependent on wood imports on a large scale. Um, the problem is when you want to do a high quality mold from the flavor point of view, you need a high grade hardwood to dry the mold, beech, uh, uh, oak or alder, but you cannot use low quality trees or pine trees for that matter because the aroma um, is not good in the final beer. So England was dependent on energy imports. Um, they were purchasing wood in large quantities from the Dutch, and the Dutch uh, cut these trees in the Baltic, Estonia, Russia. So in effect, and this sounds very uh, familiar today, England was dependent on energy imports from the East. We're talking 400 years ago, yeah? mm. so don't tell me history doesn't do itself. And imports are, of course, always something um, a, company, a country doesn't want. Uh, protectionism was a big topic back then, as it is today. So uh, the British king wanted to become independent of wood imports. Uh, now came uh, an inventor from uh, Cornwall, Sir Nicholas Holtz. He invented a technology um, which made it possible to use alternate fuels for drying mold and wood. The problem is when you run a kiln like this with coal, the smoke from coal will go into the mold and give it a very unpleasant aroma and flavor. Um, apparently the flavor was so bad that people didn't want to drink that in England, so it was necessary to find a technology by which to filter out the smoke first prior to actually killing the mold. And Sir Nicholas Holtz made this invention, um, a modern type kiln, and he received his patent for his non-smoke kiln on 23rd of July, 1635. So uh, roughly 400 years ago, um, a new technology was invented, which made it possible to switch from high quality wood to any type of fuel. And Sir Nicholas Holtz describes this in his patent like that. He said um, it makes it possible to prepare malt with any type of fuel. This is all written in Old English. If you come to our website, smokebeer.com, um, and uh, click the button for the history of smoke beer, I have the original text of the patent in there. I did uh, quite some research on a couple in the last years, and it clearly shows that this was the turning point where smoke beer became something special because 
the new invention of making malt without an open fire, without the smoke, was cheaper in the production, coal was easily available. Sir Nicholas Holtz calculated that the British Crown would save 400,000 pounds per year in wood import costs. And uh, that was a huge amount of money at the time. To today's values, that would be in the billions probably. And so the British King endorsed this new invention. And within a hundred years, all the breweries or almost all the breweries switched to the new technology and stopped making smoky malt and made modern pale malt without the smoke aroma and flavor. And around 1800, the industrialization moved from um, England to uh, the other countries in Central Europe and to, to the United States. And the same thing happened here in, in Germany. Around 1800, the Spaten Brewery of Munich, whom some of you might have heard of, uh, they export a lot. Um, they closed down their Bavarian kiln, meaning the smoke kiln, and replaced it by an English kiln, meaning a non-smoke kiln. So, and the same happened in Germany as in, uh, as in England. The breweries very quickly closed down their uh, malting operations. New industry maltings were founded that produced uh, malt without smoke, aroma, and flavor, first with coal, later on with oil, and today very often with gas. And smoked beer became a, a rare and seldomly found um, item. In fact, Bamberg, where Schlenkele is, was the only town in the world where this traditional method of making smoke malt survived all throughout the centuries until today. There's only two breweries left in the world that do smoke beer the traditional style. The Schlenkele Brewery and the other one is the Spezial Brewery, also here in Bamberg, they also have their own uh, maltings operations. Nowadays, you can find smoke beers from other breweries as well. Um, with the craft beer revolution that started in the United States in the 1980s, Industry breweries start, uh, industry maltings started to produce smoke flavored malts um, to supply those craft breweries uh, that wanted to try the smoke beer flavor. My father told me that in the 80s, we often got contacts from the United States from breweries that wanted to purchase our smoke malt because they wanted to do a smoke beer themselves. But we neither had the capacity nor the intention to um, actually sell our smoke malt. So where there's a demand, there's going to be a supplier eventually. So these industry developments, which there's hundreds in the world of, um, they now offer uh, modern-made smoke malts. But this traditional form of smoke malt making only survived in two breweries, Schrenkel and Spezial. And because of that, we were named uh, passengers of the Arc of Taste in 2017 um, by the organization Slow Food. Slow Food is an uh, Italian organization that formed some 30 years ago as a counter movement to fast food. And they dedicate themselves to preserving old traditional vegetables, food styles, food preparations. And similar to the Ark of Noah from the Bible, they have an, they have an Ark of Taste in which traditional foods um, are passengers of in order to preserve them and uh, to keep them uh, alive for, for, for coming generations. Mm -hmm. And my family has always been doing it that way. So the special thing about Schlenkele, when you try the smoked beer, it's not that the brewery burned down in the Middle Ages or some weird story, which you might find on the internet places. It just means we never switch to modern beer making. When you have a Schlenkele, 
you're drinking living beer history, a dinosaur of beer production, if you will, a living fossil. So Schlenkerla is beer history, is historic beer flavor and beer style. Um, now you might say, ah, yeah, he's talking a lot of marketing and he makes himself important, blah, blah. I have proof for that. I can show you that here. So this is an old depiction from, uh, or a sketch from France from the uh, 18th century. France was leading at the time in technology, like the metric system came out of France and a lot of technical structure. And you can see, uh, this actually shows a kiln. So here you have a fireplace that's similar to the kiln you saw here. And then there's this little umbrella-like structure, which purpose is to distribute the smoke and the heat evenly. And here on top, on the actual kiln, the green malt is stored and the heat and the smoke come from underneath. They go into the malt and they dry it and kiln it. And here you see the same from the side, from behind. And now the interesting point is down here. I don't know uh, whether any of you knows French. Brasserie is the French word for brewery. Um, mm. So this entire complex was not considered a malting operation it was considered a brewery because malting was an integral part of making beer. Mm -hmm. The separation into two separate businesses, a malting factory and a brewery, that only happened in the industrialization. Before that time, every brewery would make malt by themselves to in this purpose. And this is what Schwenker still has today. So you're drinking yourself into the past, into a historic flavor. And uh, please keep that in mind throughout our uh, tasting today. And I hope you enjoy the flavor. Um, most smoke malts, uh, virtually all smoke malt from Schlenkerle is made with beechwood. Um, it's a very common tree here in the area. That's probably part of the reason why the historic production survived here in Bamberg and did not survive elsewhere. It simply was easier to use locally available beach rather than transport coal over long distances with the train. From today's point of view, it was a really smart move um, because at least in the molten operation, we're not dependent on any uh, imported materials so we can work quite well there. Um, the other tree we're using is uh, oak, um, which gives a different aroma, smoke aroma. It's not as strong in the smoky flavor and with the uh, oak uh, smoke malt, we make a double bark. That's going to be the final beer of today's tasting. And all the other Schlenkeler beers are made with the classic beechwood smoke. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about the beers later on. So um, I would say we switch over to the next station because it's getting quite smoky in here. So not that <laughs> and um, I, I tell a little bit uh, more later on. Or if there's questions now, feel free, please go ahead. Just gonna close it. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We don't want to smoke you out, but thank you for indulging us with that sound, with that crackling sound in the background. Um, I I had a question about um about your malting operation to to supply all the malt that you do. How how often does the kiln run? Is the kiln continuously running the the whole time? The, the kiln. Um, the actual kilning process takes roughly twenty four hours, mm -hmm. and it runs once or twice per week. Right. So we have an annual um, capacity, or I have to start differently, one batch at the kiln is roughly four tons. And this is a really tiny kiln compared to what modern industry maltings do. Their kilns are 100 tons and more. And um, we do one to two batches a week. 
and roughly 300 tons of malt per year. So the yearly malt production in Schlenkele is what a big industry malting does in like a day or so. Mm-hmm. Um, standard sizes for industry maltings, at least here in Germany, I, uh, I don't know about Australia, is around 50 to 100,000 th- uh, tons per year. And we only do 300. So basically we're non-existent. It's like a really manufactured mm. process. And um, this is how all the old breweries were working. When, when you put in uh, the logs manually, you cannot enlarge the kiln to, to the sizes of the modern kilns where you have automated heating systems, oil mm-hmm. run, gas run. Yeah, so that simply doesn't work with the historic uh, production method. So we're really much, very much limited in the production amount we can do, but we're gladly limited because we can guarantee the original flavor. Um, <clears throat> and did you, uh, you, you mentioned before that, that um, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't particularly inter- interesting for you to, to um, provide your molds for other for other breweries but but um has that changed at all i mean with with over time you you only malt you only malt for yourself well we we have this i mean you saw me putting the logs in. it's mm. not quite that easy you really have to control temperature um, ventilation system etc mm-hmm. so we're kind of making a secret out of that and i don't want to pass that knowledge on to other companies sure. or to pass on the product so they can analyze that it's mm-hmm. if you want the secret ingredient of Schlenkerla and we're not going to give that outside uh, our brewery no definitely Very not. Big. yeah i love it so sorry to all the homebrewers out there and uh, possibly other craft brewers we've been very often asked for collaboration groups and uh, actions like that but that's something we're very laid back about very historic about it so um yeah a little bit secretive around uh, around that topic because there's so much family knowledge in there which we mm-hmm. don't want to absolutely yeah <laughs> wonderful i think matthias we might give you time to go to your office uh so feel free to turn this camera off rejoin us in your office in a few moments uh and for everyone who's joining us live in the zoom room uh particularly if you have the beers in your fridge now is the time to move on uh keep a little bit of the mazen have the visen ready to go and we'll do a taste comparison of those two beers in their glasses in a few minutes time uh when matthias is back with us Okay. Well, so... welcome back into the room. Let's let's sort of start the interview in a in a more formal way. But uh, again, thank you for the education you just gave us about okay. uh, the process that leads to the flavors that we're enjoying in our glasses. Um, we'd love to talk a little bit more about Bamberg and the history of uh, of the city and of your brewery. But before we do that, can you give us a little bit of a comparison uh, for those people who have both the Marzen and the Weizen. Uh, excuse my bad Australian pronunciation of those, um, but tell us what we should be experiencing and what's going to be different about those two beers in particular. What's the contrast going to be for us? Um, well, the Merzen and the Weizen, they're relatively far apart uh, in, in flavor. Um, the Merzen, as all our other beers except the Weizen, is a typical lager beer. So it means it's bottom fermented, it's uh, lagered for at least two months in our historic rock cellars. The wheat beer, the Schlenkerler Weizen, by comparison, is an ale, so it's top fermented. Um, all Bavarian wheat beers are top fermented. So that's the 
primary difference. And in the flavor, you will notice that um, ale yeast usually produce more esters in the fermentation, a little bit more complex flavors, and you will notice a lot of fruity aromas in there. Um, some people uh, say that uh, wheat beers, and so does the Schlenkler wheat beer, almost have a little bit of a like banana-like aroma to it. Um, the second thing you will notice is that the smokiness is not as intense as in the classic Merzen smoked beer. Uh, the reason for this is uh, the Merzen smoked beer is brewed with 100% uh, smoked barley malt. So from the uh, malt production you just saw. Um, so it's just smoke malt in there. So it's about as intense regarding smokiness as you can get with the historic smoke malts. Um, whereas the wheat beer is a blend of barley malt and wheat malt. All wheat beers are blends of wheat and barley malt. You cannot produce wheat beer just with wheat malt. For technical reasons, you also need a barley malt in there. And for the Schlenkerle uh, smoked wheat beer, we have 50% um, standard wheat malt, which means it's not smoked. And it's 50% from our smoked barley malt. So only half of the malt bill is actually smoked. And therefore, you will not notice as much smokiness in the wheat beer as you do in, in the classic Merzen. Um, nonetheless, it's still very smoky. And um, our uh, smoked wheat beer won uh, the gold medal at this year's European Beer Star Award as the best smoked beer in the competition. So um, we're quite proud of that. And um, it's bottle conditioned, uh, so it ferments in the bottle for a couple of weeks. And uh, when you pour it, you will see that it's hazy, meaning the yeast is still inside. So you also have slight yeast flavors in it. From the color, it's a little bit lighter than the classic Merzen. Um, this is because of uh, the wheat malt not being a, a dark malt, but a pale malt. And last but not least, um, just for your info, the color in the smoked beer comes in, uh, mainly from the smoking process. So uh, through smoking, the color of the malt becomes darker. Um, but also we dry the malt at a relatively high temperature that also adds to the color of the beer. So um, all traditional malts, um, have been made making uh, higher temperatures because obviously there was no heat exchanging units where you can level the temperature to a certain uh, uh, extension. So traditionally the malts um, had a more crispy crafty flavor than uh, many modern malts do. I've got a lot of questions in my head right now, but mm -hmm. one that really springs to mind is first of all, congratulations on, on winning the gold medal. How important is it to the brewery with such a rich history already to be winning prizes now? Is that something that is still really meaningful to it to the brewery? Well, um, not as a reassurance of that we're doing the right thing for ourselves. We have the historic recipes and it's we're not experimenting with new uh, mm. uh, uh, crazy ideas. You might know many craft breweries seem to do uh, as wild as possible recipes. So everything for Schlenkerle is historic and everything we might newly introduce like the oak smoke are in fact historic recipes, which I found in, in old books or in old family archives. So from that point of view, it's not really important for us. But of course it is important to spread the word of the traditional smoke beer and to show people out there um, uh, what it means to make a traditional smoke beer. And uh, 
those competitions bring publicity. And for that point of view, yes, uh, I think it's still important. Um, when we started to export to the United States in the 1990s, um, uh, our importer, like my father started that, and he was a little bit reluctant at the beginning, you know, regarding shelf life and all these uh, bureaucracy you have around exports, uh, alcohol documentation, et cetera, et cetera. And being a small craft brewery um, where you don't have a large office staff or a lawyer that can help you with that, it was a little bit tricky thing to do. But um, my father nonetheless decided to start it simply because our contact over there uh, was an emigrated German who put up um, one of the best import companies in the United States. Uh, it's Be United International. And um, we started with a classic uh, smoke beer, with a Merzen smoke beer, of course. And after a year or so, he said he definitely wanted to have the Urbach in the assortment, which is the stronger version of the classic Merzen, which we only serve in fall here. And uh, when we brought that over, in that year, the Urbach was the import beer of the year in the United States, which drew a lot of attention to it. And that was totally surprising for us because we're a really small operation. We do uh, roughly 20,000 barrels a year. And um, there's other market players which go to the United States, which are in the millions. And that we as a tiny small brewery get this title, that was really, uh, that was really something. So yes, for publicity, absolutely important. Self-assurance, it doesn't hurt, but it's not necessary. I've got a couple of questions. The first one is so very much locked in tradition, and and I, I you you just mentioned that that experimentation isn't necessarily what Schlenkler is about, and we all understand that with that connection with that long long history of yours. Is there room for experimentation on for you and the organisation on a personal sense? Like, do you, do you do experiments to see if if you can change things in certain ways, or are there better way processes to do things um or or do do you try to keep that tradition as pure as possible is it is it about kind of pushing that experimentation out of your out of your mind yeah what how does experimentation look in the schlenkeler world um it plays a certain role when it comes to technology because obviously te technology changes over time there's um efficiency uh, considerations there is labor uh, security considerations so you cannot do everything the same way because a new law might be passed out telling you to take care of workers for mm -hmm. instance one example um 60 70 years ago in the malting uh, process the maltster would have to get inside the kiln with a shuffle and turn the malt over in order to make it uh, evenly uh, kilned uh, throughout the time that today is not permitted anymore because if you um, expose someone to this strong smoke um, inside a closed room at, at the same time at a high temperature, um, that's considered a health risk. So mm -hmm. obviously we're not allowed to do that. So there you have to adapt. So nowadays there's like a ventilation system in there which emulates the, the old shuffle system basically. Mm -hmm. So um, in to, to put it in more general terms, when there's a new technology available, um, we first ascertain whether it will have a negative impact on the flavor and the historic background of, of the beer. Mm -hmm. And if that is not the case, uh, and it gives us an advantage, uh, either from a safety point of view or from a quality point of view, or from uh, a pro uh, productivity point of view, then mm -hmm. we will of course do it. Um, if 
there is an impact, uh, we we will not do it. Um, best example basically is how beer is being shipped. In in the old days, beer was shipped with a horse carriage, mm-hmm. and now nowadays uh, we we have a truck for that because obviously that won't change the flavor how yeah. the beer is transported. Yeah. So uh, and in the brew house, for instance, we have a computer. Uh, running the actual brewing system. Um, so that is automated uh, and we can run three shifts a day and throughout the night. So uh, we have modern things in there as well, um, but we don't impact on the historic flavor. No, never, never, never. Um, the, the the other Schlegler question I had was, so we've, we've had a few German breweries and some, and some good uh, German people and us, of having guests from all over the world joining us tonight, um, the concept of uh, Frühschoppen, and you'll have to excuse my pronunciation, is is one that we've come across and one seems quite appropriate with, with people drinking at all different hours of the, the day and night. Uh, what does it mean for you? What does, what's a Frühschoppen for you? Um, well, to explain to those who might not know what it is, Frühschoppen, Früh means early in the morning and Shoppen is actually a quarter liter. Um, in Franconia, it's actually more like a Frühseidler, meaning you have a pint in the morning. <laughs> um, it's, it's the morning pint, um, usually uh, even with something to eat, a sausage, white sausage, something like that. And um, it's a very traditional thing. People nowadays more tend to do on the weekends, not during the during the week when they have to work. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of retirees are doing that. They get together on 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 the weekend in the mornings and they have their political talk or talk about sports or whatever, and uh, do that over a pint to to slowly start the day. Um, it's not as intensely done as in the old days because even here in Germany, the per capita, per capita consumption of alcohol has of course decreased and a big thing is actually that churches uh, a church is not as important as it used to be mm-hmm. in the old days people would go to the morning church on sunday uh, eight or nine o'clock and they would go to the tavern afterwards to have a couple of beers and and then they go home uh, since nowadays a lot of people don't go to church anymore they don't end up in the tavern either yeah? or they come later for lunch or something like that so mm-hmm. free shopping is not as widely done as it used to be but it's still there and it's a very important part of uh, franconian Bavarian German um, mm. beer tradition. We certainly understand it's the it's the important people of the town coming together to have a conversation, just like we are online tonight. So, Stammtisch <laughs> is the most important, and basically any political problem there is, and more importantly, the setup of the German national soccer team and stuff like that is <laughs> seriously yeah. debated. It's at very, the very important. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they, they know everything and they have a solution to everything, of course. Oh, yeah. All the world's problems. Um, exactly. I, I haven't been lucky enough to visit um, Bamberg, uh, as David has. Can you describe uh, your home for us? Can you describe your little hometown and, and what's it like? Where what's What happens? You know, what are the people like? I'm sure they're wonderful, but yeah. Um, Bamberg is a relatively small town. We have roughly 70,000 residents. It's uh, in northern Bavaria, mm-hmm. roughly two hours from Munich, one hour from Nuremberg. Um, those cities might be known. 
Um, Berlin, the capital from Germany, is about three hours by speed train from us. So Germany compared to Australia is apparently very small. Um, historically, Bamberg was a very important town. It was an independent church domain. It was founded more than a thousand years ago as a, a, a king diocese. So uh, the archbishop was actually running affairs in town. And it's only been for 200 years now that Bamberg has politically been a part of Bavaria. So before that time, it was independent until 1805, when uh, the Napoleonic Wars and the secularization uh, totally changed the face of Europe. Um, so up until 200 years ago, the church was running things in town. Uh, and then that was turned over to uh, the citizens, to the public. And ever since then, Bamberg has been a little bit of a provincial town, to be honest. Like we have good business base here. There's a very low uh, unemployment, but we're not politically in any way important. Like we're not a regional capital or something of that sort. But that has actually worked in favor for towns so, because we still have all these historic buildings from uh, uh, 500, 400 uh, years ago from when Bamberg was really important and uh, a large center. So you have a huge cathedral, 700 years old, um, one of the largest ones in Germany. You have a big residency building of the King Bishops, which is uh, close to, or was made in resemblance to a certain part to the Versailles Castle in, in Paris. Mm -hmm. And there's uh, thousands of protected monuments in town. We were lucky to not been bombarded in World War II. So all these are uh, historic and original buildings buildings. Um, the Schlenkerle Brewery pub dates back 600 years. Um, the rocks under, underneath the brewery date back uh, for three, 400 years. So it's a very much historic town, very picturesque. We're, uh, because of all that, we're a UNESCO World Heritage Site for mm -hmm. uh, roughly 30 years now. Um, tourism has become important in the last 30 years. So a lot of people travel to Bamberg to visit the town. Uh, you can do city tours, museum tours, there's beer tours. Uh, beer plays a very important role in town. So Schlenkel and smoke beer is, of course, uh, well, a little bit of the ambassador internationally wise um, mm -hmm. from town. But uh, Bamberg hosts uh, more than 10 breweries, most of which are really historic family breweries, which have been around for a very long time. And in Bamberg County, there's another 100 breweries. So um, wow. Bavaria is in the world very much known for its beer culture. What a lot of people don't know is that the majority of the Bavarian beer diversity is actually in the northern half of Bavaria, which is for 200 or which has been for 200 years uh, only part of, of Bavaria. And it's actually called Franconia. Um, I don't know whether there's anything with the uh, uh, Australian provinces like that, but you know the battle between Scotland and England, and you know Scotland very much sees itself as an independent nation, but of course it's part of of the United Kingdom. Um, the same system kind of is here with Franconia. The Franconians think of themselves not as Bavarians, but as Franconians, and the Franconian beer culture is more diverse and uh, more more variable than uh, the Bavarian beer culture. The breweries here are smaller. Um, they're uh, all family operated. And a very uh, common thing you can do here in Bamberg in the summertime, or a very popular thing the locals do, is have a bicycle tour around uh, um, uh, Bamberg County mm. and visit like 10 breweries in one day because they're also close by. It's, it's an easy biking tour. So coming to Bamberg, cultural side, beer diversity, also a lot of excellent food. There's a lot of bakeries here, a lot of butchers here. And um, 
So yeah, peer diversity and culture, that really is what, what Bamberg uh, makes viable. You talk about the history there, and we could. It's a good, probably, segue to talk about your history. So, six generations means you've been an integral part of all that. Um, can you take us bit back to generation number one? Is there? Can you give us a little bit of a cover a, a background on on that on that side of things? Take us back to when when everything started. Well. Schlenkerler has its first documentation in 1405, and at the time it was called the House of the Blue Lion, and later on it was called the Brewery of the Blue Lion. From the 17th century onwards, the, uh, the company name was Brewery Heller, because the owners of that time were uh, the Heller family, and in that line I'm the 14th brewmaster of Heller. So the official company name today is still Heller. Schlenkerler goes back uh, to my family, and that's where the family story now comes in. And I think I have to show you that. When you look at uh, the label, um, I can show you here on the on the beer coaster. You see on the bottom right of the label, you have that little red insignia with the person inside. So this is my great great grandfather, the second generation of my family. And according to legend, he had an accident in the brewery. Um, we don't know what happened, whether he fell over a wooden barrel or whether he drank too much beer or uh, maybe the brewery horses stepped on his toe or something like that. But he was limping afterwards. And when uh, he limped, he dangled his arms in order to keep the balance. That's why he's depicted with that stick. Uh, <laughs> he had like a weavering gait. Mm -hmm. And in German language, if you walk like that, it's called schlenkern. You dangle when you walk or like a drunk person would walk. So the Schlenkerla is a Franconian vernacular word or a, a, a fun name for a person who has a walk like that, the mm. little dangler, if you will. So um, the, the, the Stammtisch, the regulars, um, they called Andreas Graser, that was his actual name, my great-great-grandfather. Um, they gave him the nickname Schlenkerla. So originally it was, uh, the person was meant. And so they said, well, let's go to Schlenkerla, meaning the person. But over time, this became synonymous with the tavern and eventually with the beer. Uh, so nowadays, I told you earlier on, to fully acquire the flavor of Schlenkele, you need three pints. So the name is program. After three beers, you might Schlenke a bit. <laughs> and that, that's, that's really the an ancestral uh, family line from that end. But every generation had, has made a great contribution. Konrad Graser, um, who started, uh, started off from my family, he, he took over the Hallebrau. We don't know whether he purchased it or whether there was some family ties over some, some connections or something. And um, from Konrad Graser, we actually have um, old recipe books, 200-year-old brewing protocols, where he in detail wrote down how he made the beer, um, uh, what water amount, what malt amount, what hops he used. So as far as I know, this is one of the oldest, maybe the oldest uh, uh, brewing protocols in existence. And uh, there's uh, tons of other uh, items from, from that period, uh, books on, on, on general beer brewing, uh, in particular Bamberg beer brewing. So Bamberg had some specialties, uh, which they did here. Uh, for instance, there was a special low alcohol beer, which was brewed here in Bamberg, the, uh, the Heinzlein. 
that's uh, um, that's something we have at our brewery tavern. We don't export that because bringing low alcohol beer around the planet doesn't really make sense. But um, it's like an office beer. It's 0.9% alcohol. It's uh, pretty close to modern alcohol-free beers, but you don't need modern uh, modern technology like pasteurization or uh, alcohol extraction. Um, Bamberg brewers had found a way to make it in a natural way. So this is so amazing, all these old records we have in the family. and. Um, that maybe relates to uh, what you said earlier, Warren, about the experimentation. Um, my intention is, and, and we, uh, we did that on numerous occasions, we, we bring back these old recipes to modern times because the lager beer revolution, which happened 150 years ago when artificial cooling was invented, mm -hmm. vanished a lot of traditional beer styles. And uh, smoked beer almost became one of them. Mm -hmm. And Schlenkler managed to... Um, bring smoke beer to modern times, but I think we can preserve some other styles as well, like the low alcohol one. Hmm. So that was the contribution of Konrad. Andreas was the original Schlenkeler. Michael, the third generation, um, he was, uh, well, the, the, the visionary of, of the company. He ran the company from around 1900 till about World War II. And he was the one who turned Schlenkler into a brand name. He actually got it registered as a brand name. Mm -hmm. um, he made sure that the tavern is restored in its original form and not transformed into a modern tavern, which in the 1920s, a lot of other taverns were. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he was the one who made the deliberate choice of continuing the smoke beer rather than um, uh, modernizing the brewery. Yeah, because every other brewery did it in his time, except the Spezial. And I have, in uh, again, in the old records, I have newspaper ads from him from the 1920s, where he already points out that smoke beer is something special of Bamberg and that this is something that needs to be preserved. So I think he was really, really ahead of his time. In the 1920s, nobody would think of that. So we have to thank him a lot. Uh, uh, for what Schlenkeler is today. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next generation, my grandfather, Jakob Trum, he managed to run the brewery uh, through World War II and through the, the crisis after that. Mm -hmm. So I think that in itself is an amazing achievement. And um, my father um, internationalized the brewery. He started the export business. Um, he made a more modern marketing approach with good labeling and all that, because before that time, um, uh, that was all a little bit you know, uh, well, like the small craft breweries did at the time. Yeah, you, you put a paper on your bottle and that's the label and you don't really worry about uh, what, what's going on because back then there was no supermarkets, there were, were no beverage markets. You would only sell out the window of your brewery. Mm. And my father made the move to bring Schlenkerle to supermarkets and to, to, to broaden the sales space, which I think also is very, very important for what Schlenkerle is today. And while well, what my contribution will be, my children can eventually tell you that in an interview and in, say 20 years or so. So we can see what, what I have done then or have done wrong. I don't know. <laughs> when did you officially take over and was there an apprenticeship, not just the normal beer apprenticeship, but a family apprenticeship that you had to do before the reins were passed over? Well, we, we, we did not have a formal uh, thing like, okay, you have to do this and this and this, and then you can take over. Um, I actually, uh, or my family lives above the brewery pub. We still do today. Uh, my father, uh, age 82, he's still around. He is very much uh, not actively working, but involved in the business. He has a lot of ideas all the time still, which is amazing. And um, what's, my first what's memory... Been his, what's is, been his most recent idea? And I guess... He's not going to listen to the podcast, so you can be honest about if it was a good one or not. 
Uh, he's always uh, checking my spelling on the website because uh, <laughs> when I do news posts and stuff like that, so that we don't have anything wrong in there. And he's still very much about that uh, marketing point, like when we uh, design a label or uh, he has a really good feeling for that. And so he brings constant input on, on this one, ask and unask both, which I think is important because people tend to not ask. <laughs> and uh, most of the time he's absolutely right about, about his analysis. So this is really good to have the elder opinion in there, even though it's sometimes um, not, not uh, something you, you ask for. Yeah? But uh, that's very important. I, just, I can just hope that, that one day my children will listen to me as well when I have my ideas when I'm 80 years old or something like that do you so, think they're um, do you think they're going to be interested in in following the family tradition are mm. they, how old are they and are they already showing signs well my son is 11 julius and he always says he loves the business and he wants to work and he's going to take over eventually uh we will see what puberty will do uh, with that uh, <laughs> intention though uh, uh when i think of of, of my puberty time um coming from a family that owns a brewery in the center of the pub area of town is not something bad. Yeah, it's quite an advantage. <laughs> so I, 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 I think uh, it, it should work quite well. And my daughter, Felicia, she's eight. Um, yeah, so there's two, two irons in, in the fire, as, as they would mm. say. So I, I hopefully uh, think that one of, of, of them uh, will continue the business. If, if all else fails too, there's two Australians who would be happy to move to Bamberg and continue on the tradition of, of oh, there, there's someone else. There's three. I think, if we, I think if we had all the cameras on, there'd be another, you know, 72 hands up at the moment. So. Well, I'm very it's, it's a it's a large responsibility. Um, I mean, I love my work. Everything is, is really great, but it's really a large responsibility because you cannot work like in a modern craft brewery and experiment around and uh, scale up and sell out to a big bidder or something like that. So it's really something um, thinking, looking back at those generations, uh, the five, six, seven uh, generations that worked before me. Um, I want to continue what they were doing and um, it, it, it limits in, in certain ways. But at the same time, it gives a lot of confidence. I mean, all the breweries in the world now in a, are in some form of a crisis, energy prices, export business, um, on, uh, on, with a question mark at least regarding shipping costs, etc. cetera. Um, Europe probably even more than uh, Australia. Here in Europe, energy is a huge topic because we were so stupid to make ourselves dependent on, on the imperialistic guy in the East. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so uh, that's, that's a huge challenge. But compared to the challenges we have faced in the past, world wars, pestilence, 30-year wars, um, I think that's all manageable in the end. Um, uh, we're going to have some form of transformation. We have to adapt to certain things. And probably business is not going to be the same for breweries in Germany in five years' time than it is now. But I'm absolutely certain of it that Schrenkler will survive that because we have survived much worse things. Mm. Yeah, so um, that, that confidence really helps. And uh, yeah, yeah. so there's uh, uh, pros and cons as, as in every topic. Yeah. I'm very conscious you've already spent an hour with us. You're mm. being generous. And we still have one more beer that we want to officially taste Warren and I have a whole lot of questions. We might just limit ourselves to two or three more. 
Uh, and I know the audience are typing their questions into the chat. Uh, and I know we have a number of Australian brewers in the room with us tonight mm. as well. I'd love to hear their opinion of some of these beers and uh, for them to be able to ask their expert questions. Uh, so I'm going to mispronounce it again. I've just come from being online in China and mispronouncing so many Chinese names. Uh, it's wonderful to move from mispronouncing Asian language to mispronouncing European languages. The Aish, the Aish, Aisha? How, tell me how I should pronounce it. Aisha. Aisha is the German word for oak tree. Um, that's why you have these little oak leaves underneath. Ah. And the, the special thing about the Eiche is that the malt is killed with um, oak wood mm -hmm. rather than beech wood. And um, this is actually a new introduction, which I did, well, 2009, so 13 years ago, when I took over from my father. Um, uh, we only uh, had the classic Merzen, the Urbach, uh, the Weizen in a pale lager. And... Um, when I was studying brewing science in Weinstefan, I did my uh, major thesis all, uh, on a special topic on the history of beer making. And uh, when I read these old uh, uh, sources, old books on, on beer making, I found that uh, oak was a common tree to be to be used. So we made simply we made an experiment um, <clears throat> with oak wood. And at first, before we made the experiment, I expected the malt to be darker and stronger in smoke mm -hmm. flavor because you have that picture in your head, you know, the strong oak tree and mm -hmm. and, and the way that the, uh, um, the, the branches grow. So everything about oak is about power. And um, when we sampled the malt, we realized that, first of all, the color was lighter and that the smoke was uh, as intense but much smoother and more balanced and more subtle than in, in the classic Merzen uh, or in the classic Beechwood smoke. So I said, uh, let's make a double bog out of that because in a double bog you have a lot of mold characters, a lot of sweetness. And I expected this to be a perfect balance to that smooth smokiness. And so the Schlenkala Oak Smoke double bog was born in 2009. Uh, it comes at uh, 19 degrees Play-Doh, 19.9 um, uh, original gravity and 8% alcohol. So it's relatively strong. Um, I pour one myself so we can compare together. I hope that works from the size. You see from the color, it's uh, amber color, Bernstein in, in German. So much lighter than the, the classic Schlenkala. I don't have the best light option here, there we go. And um, when, you, when you smell, also you have already the, uh, the, the smokiness in there, but not as intense as in the Merzen. And you have these sweet characters from, from the malt inside. And on the glass, when you look, when you make this, this movement, you see like the alcohol running on the side, like you're having a good red wine. That's why we have these uh, open kind of glasses for it. And cheers. Before we talk too much, we drink a bit. Cheers, absolutely. I'm fascinated. To, we've had a couple of questions we were going to ask you originally. It's a good opportunity to say, what kind of glassware do you use? Is that this kind of glassware you would use uh, in in the tasting room or in the bar? And um, please tell us tell us a little bit more about how you're experiencing it as you as you take in the aromas and the flavour. Well, when when we started the the Eichen, I was a little bit influenced by the craft beer revolution, obviously, where you had all these very thin glass 
uh, 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 vessels to to sample the beers because a thin glass gives you more access to the actual flavor. And I wanted to have a glass with a relatively wide opening that when you drink, your nose is actually inside the glass so that you perceive the flavor there. Um, that's something which some of you might not know. Uh, Perception of flavor is a very, very complex topic. Um, our tongue, our mouth can only perceive five different flavors, sweet, salty, spicy, uh, umami, and uh, um, sour. Yeah? All the other flavors we perceive with our nose. So what basically happens when we drink something, uh, when we eat something, uh, the aromas become airborne and go into the nose and are being perceived there. This is the reason why when you have a cold, or Corona, um, that you won't perceive flavors in a normal way because your nose is impaired or maybe totally blocked. And that's why I think it's so important that the glass has a large opening that you can smell inside. But and if you have a large um, nose like me, it's important to have a very large, yeah, large yeah, glass. Exactly. 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 And uh, the, the Eiche is, um, we, we have it here in, in Germany seasonally only um, uh, in, in Christmas time. So we start first Advent, which is late November, and then we run it over Christmas to like mid-January and whenever it's sold out. In Australia and other parts of the world, that doesn't work because with a long shipping time, it ends up to be available all year round. But the seasonality approach here works very well because you have that winter coldness where you sit cozy at home in front of a fireplace, and then you have this almost whiskey-like aroma and flavor in, in the Schlenkerla Oak Smoke. So it's really something you should take your time to, to enjoy the flavor, um, sit in the evening with your family or watch a good movie or listen to music or whatever you prefer and really indulge into that flavor. And um, this is what, what the oak optimally underlines. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a really unique flavor. And um, the the oak smoke actually also won a gold medal at the European Beer Star this year as the best uh, smoked strong beer. So Schlenkeler was the most successful brewery in the smoke beer categories because we won well two gold medals. Yes. Uh, so, and and what temperature do you what temperature do you serve this at? Uh, and would you suggest that we? I've had this out of the fridge since before we started the podcast. Um, which is now, I guess, about an hour and a half or so. What temperature would you normally you know, taste it at? Well, for, for, for classic Schlenkerler, the, uh, the standard German drinking temperature of seven to eight degrees Celsius is fine. The Eiche, you just made it perfectly. You took it out of the fridge like uh, half an hour, an hour before. If it warms up a little bit up to like 10 degrees or so, it brings out the flavor much, much better. So um, yeah, a, a little, little bit warmer. Not all the way like porter beers. You know, porter beers, they're usually set 12, 14 degrees. I wouldn't go that high, um, but into that direction. Yeah, it really give the aroma and the flavor time to explode in your mouth. We have, uh, we're called the cool room. Uh, I'm not sure whether you use the same terminology in Germany or not. The cool room is the big fridge at the back of a pub or the back of a brewery. And it's where all of the behind the scenes things happen. This is the time that we talk about uh, the inside story. And we ask people very often, what's the strangest thing that you've ever seen in a cool room? For instance, when my friend Warren first came on the podcast, uh, his parents used to run a restaurant and someone delivered a whole shark uh, into their cool room. And as a little boy, he ran into the into the cool room to find a shark in the cool room. It doesn't need to be a walk-in fridge, but 
is there a behind the scenes thing that you remember where something strange or particularly alarming, an explosion or uh, something going wrong that you can share just to remind people what it's actually like running a business like this? Well, the term in German is exactly the same. It's called Kühlraum. Um, oh, that's uh, wonderful. Cool. Our T-shirts will translate nicely if we ever make one. Yeah, yeah, they they, they, they would, exactly. Um, they, there's a historic anecdote. Um, it's actually uh, from a black and white movie, which was done in the 1960s in Bamberg. And uh, Bavarian Public TV did a, re a report on smoke beer. And um, my grandfather was interviewed in that uh, um, Uh, piece, so it's e even a part of family uh, archive or tradition. And I don't know for what reason, but at the time, obviously, it was not that easy to, uh, to convey what smoke beer is. So they um, they did. My grandfather told about the history in the background, just like I did. But for some reason, the guys from the uh, camera team from the public TV, they probably wanted to have something more extravagant. So um, at first they got the Stammtisch people to blow their smoke from the cigarette into the glass and then open the lid and the glass would start to smoke, which of course is ridiculous. The beer doesn't smoke. <laughs> just has a smoke flavor. Um, and the second thing was, and here comes the cool room. Um, in the cool room at the time, we had uh, big pieces of uh, ham or bacon hanging ready to be cut and served in the tavern. And at the time we still had the bottles with the flip tops. So um, I don't know whether it was the idea of the cameraman or of some of the waitresses. They would actually hang up the bottles um, on that, all those ropes where the ham was hanging with the flip tops. The bottles were hanging there. And then they told the reporter that the bottles were being smoked in there. And that's how the smoke flavor got into the beer. <laughs> yeah. That was totally strange. It was really a strange thing. Which of course cannot work when the bottle is closed. Obviously, so yeah. that is that is wonderful. That's the I I love that story. That is after 150 episodes. That's one of my favorite answers ever to that question that we ask every single brewery that comes on. In a moment, we've had a couple of questions submitted via uh, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you to everyone who follows us on Facebook and Instagram and who writes questions ahead of time for us to ask. Warren's going to ask those. <clears throat> Then we're going to uh, start to unmute people in the in the Zoom room. I have William with a question. I have Nathan with a question. And I have Lars with a question. Hopefully, they're all still on and ready to go. Uh, if you're in the Zoom room and would like to ask a question, please type it into the chat now. And after Warren's asked these questions, I will uh, start to throw to people in the Zoom room to ask their questions. I really love this this audience question from our Facebook page because it kind of it, yeah it's it's got a it's got a nice connection to it. Um, what advice would you give home brewers who wanted to try to make their own smoked beer at home? Um, are there any hints or tips and tricks that 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 would help them produce a better product? Um. I think the most important thing is to try to get the smoke in balance with the other flavor components of the beer. Very often when you get smoked beers, both from commercial brewers and from home brewers, mm -hmm. they try to get as much smoke in there as possible just to, you know, make clear it is a smoked beer. But they're forgetting that smoke is something which we perceive very intensely on our palate. 
at least at first. Mm -hmm. After a couple of pints, it will settle. That's why you have that three pint story. But at, at first, it's very intense. So um, the goal should be to uh, balance it against the maltiness, against the hoppiness. So um, usually when you get the industrially made smoke flavored malts, um, you can, uh, you should not work with a hundred percent smoke malt from from that line because these are usually not intended to be base malts. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the classic form of making, it is intended as a base malt because that was the only base malt available back in those days. So you have to do a little bit an adapted modern approach to it, reduce uh, the smoke malt amount depending on how smoky the malt is you can get, and then. Uh, try to get it in balance with the other flavor components. And I think that will be received best by the customers or by your friends or whomever you drink it with. Yeah, great answer. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that, that's yeah, I think that's really great. The other one is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this into two parts. So the question itself is, is there a way to measure the smokiness of the beer? But yep. moreover to that, is there a way that you, because it's a fairly natural process, how do you make sure that the smokiness is a consistent amount in your beers? Um, yes, you can measure smokiness. There's a laboratory analysis uh, system for it. Chemically, uh, smoke is a water-fluent phenol, mm -hmm. and you can uh, measure the value of that in parts per million. And um, indeed, the smokiness varies considerably between batches because it's a natural process. Mm -hmm. It's like not liquid smoke infused or, you know, whatever they do in industrial uh, factories to smoke chip or chips or whatever. So um, we, we have uh, differences between batches and uh, we blend between uh, batches. So basically mm -hmm. various kilns are blended together and then um, in the brew house, we blend in the lagerings in the ma uh, main fermentation we blend. So we do continuous blending. Um, you will notice that in the seasonal beers like the oak smoke, um, where we obviously cannot blend like that because we only uh, produce them uh, a couple of times a year. There you will notice more taste difference between different batches. So if you have um, uh, oak smoke from, from various years at home, or maybe even the vintage oak smoke, um, there's a vintage version of that, which we mature for four years in our rock cellars in, in the bottles. So there you have differences between, between the vintages. But for the classic Ertzen, blending is the solution. There we go. Perfect. Great. Um, David, your first audience question, I think, was... The yes, so I get to ask the first audience question, uh, which is from... Lars, who's joining us from Sweden. We often joke that we have a lot of listeners in Norway. Uh, great to be moving in, uh, in a different part of Europe here to have some great Swedish questions. Lars doesn't have a microphone. He's asked me to ask his question. And that's about where you source your water from uh, for the brewing. Is it from a well? Or oh tell us about the importance of water to the beer that we end up with. Well, that's maybe uh, the second situative background why the uh, the smoke beer survived here. Um, we actually have standard city water. We don't have our own well. Um, the standard city water here in Bamberg is relatively high in carbonation, which, as most home brewers knew, uh, know, is is good for dark, uh, uh, strong flavored beers. So just by 
coincidence, um, we have the perfect city water and we don't need to treat it or, or do anything special about it. Um, a similar story is uh, the brewery Radeberg here in Germany. Um, which are famous for Pilsner beers. Um, on their end, they have very natural soft water. So it was uh, the, the place to make Pilsner beer where you need soft water for. So yeah, just normal city water. That's fantastic. We often talk to breweries who go to a lot of effort to, to change their water and demineralize it or add other things. Uh, you're, you must feel so lucky to have that opportunity uh, where you are. Well, again, it's the historic thing. 200 years ago, no brewer would think about uh, treating his water in any way. The, uh, uh, so we're doing it the, uh, the natural and the original way. Um, what some of your home brewers might find interesting, I found uh, uh, some old records. Um, even 200, 300 years ago, brewers knew that for certain styles of beer, it was important to get a, a, a decarbonated or low carbon uh, water, like a soft, smooth water, as they call it in German. And there's a historic way to do that. You can boil the water before you use it for making beer. So in old books, you find that, um, especially for, for lager beers, uh, the beer was, uh, the water was boiled for two or three hours before the actual brewing process would start with the mashing. And that's uh, a form of um, uh, decarbonizing, uh, decarbonizing the water. Of course, wasting a lot of energy, but uh, yeah. Uh, I've asked William to unmute, but I'm conscious that William joined us from North Carolina. And so uh, at three or four o'clock in the morning in North Carolina, at the time that we're recording, he may not be able to uh, to jump on. Uh, but we are joined as well by our good mate, Nathan, who brews at King River uh, here in Victoria, Australia. King River have an awesome reputation uh, here, and we've been lucky to have Nathan uh, on the podcast and the show before doing a wide range of beers, including many inspired by uh, German styles. Nathan, ask your question. If you've got more than one question, feel free to ask. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, thanks very much for giving me the time, uh, Matthias. Uh, I, I focus on German style beers, so um, as soon as this one came up, I was uh, I was told I wasn't missing this uh, for a heartbeat. Nobody makes beer like uh, Schlinger, and uh, um, yeah, you. I mean, I've just had this Martin. Uh, sorry, I've just had this Doppelbock, and uh, it's incredible. Um, it's thank, thank you very much. As well, and uh, that smokiness is actually coming out as well as a malt character, and uh, it's just amazing. So sorry to float your boat there, but my, my question was like a pretty um, a banal one in, in that I'm just wondering in Germany, um, how is smoked beer received? How is, how is what you do there in Bamberg received by uh, the rest of Germany? Like is it um, that you guys uh, sell beer, you're widely loved uh, around Germany or because of that sort of real purist nature that I, I perceive from, from German beers, it's, it's, um, you're like a bit of an outcast? Well, <laughs> strong the, words. The German. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just the, to the point. The, no, I I understand your question. Um, the the German beer market is very different than that from from most countries. Uh, international craft beer never really got off uh, from this uh, from the start here, and even modern craft brewing has uh, has a difficult time because beer is so a regional thing here in Germany. Um, you have a few 
nationwide televised beer styles, the big ones like Bitburger, Kronbacher, Vorsteiner, uh, which are more or less standardized beers, which you can find everywhere. But the actual beer markets are very much local. Um, Cologne, you have the Kölsch style. Düsseldorf, you have the Altbier. Southern Bavaria, you have the Wheat beer and, uh, and the Helles. And smoke beer is something here of Franconia, of Bamberg in particular. So um, Schlenkerlas a little bit of a reputation, as you pointed out. And I think internationally, at least in the beer lovers uh, um, group, most people know Schlenkerla. But um, I think we're actually less known in Germany than in, say, Australia or the United States. Um, so when you're not in Franconia, say in, in Hamburg, Berlin or wherever, you will find Schlenkerla at a specialty store, but it's not easily or widely available. Um, what 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 happens here is that when people travel to Bamberg, I pointed out earlier that Bamberg has a lot of tourism. Um, there's some some three million visitors per year. Uh, most of those are German visitors, actually, and then they're exposed to the smoke beer. And then you have one of two reactions: either people say, "Oh, I love this flavor. This is amazing," and oh, I will never forget that. And uh, the other is like, "Whoa, no, I can't drink that at all." And oh no, 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 this is really crazy. And um, you seldomly find anyone in between. Yeah, it's 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 either or. You love it or you hate it. And with that knowledge, uh, the people return to wherever they came from, Berlin, Han Hanover, or some small city. And then the lovers might return to Bamberg at one point, or they order the beer from our online store, or they find it in a in a local specialty store. Um, but uh, it's not uh, a majority beer. It's not a widely available beer. I mean, we wouldn't have the capacity to, to serve such a demand anyhow. And um, it's a little bit of like an, an, an odd flavor, like the little, the, the historic crazy brewery to a certain extent yeah, uh, on, on that level. Locally here in Bamberg, the story is different. Here, it's a standard beer you find us in every supermarket. Um, with the young people, it's actually uh, become some, some sort of a cult because we're in, in, in the pub district, like our brewery tavern is in the pub district of town. And in the evenings, a lot of people are standing, young people are standing in front of the pub, having their pint there um, to kind of start of the evening. And then they go on to the discotheque dancing or whatever. So um, we're very attractive to young people as well, which personally I, I favor very much, not because of selling more beer, but because of making um, the young generation aware of such an historic uh, beer style, uh, which I think is important for the survival of historic, uh, uh, the historic smoke beer in the long run to also get young people to drink it. And um, so, yeah, uh, here in Bamberg, standard also for young people, rest of Germany, the odd craziest thing which you find uh, at the specialty store. And have you found locally um, that you, you, you're running a good plateau of beer sales or is the younger generation picking up like they are in Australia, the fruitiest thing that they can find that's sweet? Um, not here in Bamberg. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of young people that get the Schlenkler from the wooden barrel. A lot of students out there. Um, <clears throat> no, and, and and I think in Franconia in general. In the rest of Germany, yes, you're right. Beer consumption is on the decline per capita, anyhow. And a lot of young people go to fruit flavors, stuff like that, sweetness. But I don't see that much here in Franconia because there's so a rich beer culture. In the summer, you go to the beer cellars, which is nothing else than beer gardens on rock beer cellars, and 
uh, the bark beer tappings in fall where there's almost only young people. So um, uh, the, the local beer cult, you really have to call it that, is also attractive to younger people. So I'm, I'm not worried about the future of Franconian uh, beer or Bamberg beer for that matter. Um, whether the overall consumption might decline a bit, maybe, but uh, I, I don't see a big trouble from the consumption point of view for the breweries. Um, the big trouble for the local craft breweries uh, more is the continu continuation of the family tradition. So when yes. there's no successor because your children don't want to do it or cannot do it, um, such a small place, uh, all these traditional breweries are small breweries anywhere from 5,000 to 20,000 barrels. Um, such a brewery you will not sell to someone who continues it. It, it doesn't it doesn't work it's too much invest in order to transfer and tax problems and all that so either you have someone from the family continuing it or, or it will close down and uh, that's an issue today because Germany has a very low low birth rate and um, there's a lot of families that don't have children um, just a couple of days ago I was at a brewers convention in a brewery that runs now in the 16th family generation and there's no 17th it's just not there so um, you don't really know how that 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 will continue. So that's been a problem for at least 30 years. That every now and then smaller breweries here in Franconia close down because there's no successor. So yeah, that's that's the bigger issue to um, yeah, to and, and lastly, because I've taken up a lot of airtime, um, when I find myself in Bamberg next year, uh, I'm going to come and see you. You're welcoming, right? Um, drop me an email um, yeah. on our website, smokebeer.com. There's a contact form that goes to my hand, and yeah. yeah, then we can sit together and talk gladly. Yeah, cool. I'll bring a non-smoked Martin that you can laugh at. Perfect. We make a oh. beer exchange. <laughs> I was about to ask that question, Nathan, before I throw to our, our new friend, Benjamin. Nathan, have you ever made a, a smoked beer at King River yet? And um... No, I've um, I bought, a, I bought, I bought uh, which is probably anathema to... Um, uh, to Matthias, I bought some Beechwood smoked malt to do a smoked Martin um, uh, as a bit of a, uh, a gift to a local um, smoked barbecue place that, that buys a lot of our beer and to, and to play with it. Martin's one of my favourite beer styles. It's, okay. um, it just has such a great malt character in, a, in such an easy drinking um, style. Um, so it's, uh, it's happening soon, but uh, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be sharing it with Matthias. I'd be uh, very, very shy on that. Well, my friend, uh, again, you make some marvellous beers and I'm sure when Matthias next visits Australia, he should take some time to go up and visit the, the King River region of Victoria. It's beautiful. Please Google it if you're not from Victoria. Have a look at the uh, brewery and have a look at the just wonderful countryside that's in that part of the world. Benjamin, uh, thank you for unmuting. You're joining us, I think, from Sweden. Is that right? Please introduce yourself. Welcome to the cool room and ask your question. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, Sweden. Uh, can you hear me okay? Absolutely yeah, beautiful. Fine. Amazing. So first of all, I just want to give uh, thanks to uh, uh, Warren and David for and everyone involved for setting this up uh, and letting us... Uh, join and especially Matthias uh, taking time out of his day to uh, talk about the history of the brewery and the product and answering all our questions. It's been uh, really nice. I'm super happy that I was able to join. I just uh, saw it by chance on uh, on Facebook and figured I love those beers. I, I got to check this out. Uh, and I think uh, I'm probably going to be joining 
all the other ones from now on because this was uh, this was amazing. Uh, uh, Schleckel, so, uh, I think in Sweden is currently at Sustainable We don't have a yeah, year-round exactly. listing, but it's certainly it's there. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's uh, someone that works at Sustainable Logget that really likes your beer because it's not in like the the hundred percent availability at all times, but it's always on the temporary shelf. Uh, so it's semi-available uh, at all times anyway, uh, which makes me very happy. I wasn't able to have one right. today since it's 11.30 here, but uh, hey. Is there no fru shopping in Sweden? Is that what we're learning? No, you you only have the snaps, you know. <laughs> uh, no, but so uh, my question was uh, from earlier when uh, Warren talked about, uh, you know, modernizing and evolving the brewery and with the uh, new technology uh, and being a very traditional, uh, especially German uh, brewery. I was thinking about, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, German breweries do decoction matching, uh, and I'm guessing you still do that. Uh, and yep, correct. If you do, have you ever experimented with uh, trying a, you know, a different technique for your mashing? And if you did, what was the result in the in the final product? Um, no, we did not. Um, we, we actually stay with the decoction mashing. Uh, this is also in part because we have a historic brew house. Um, the brew house we're still using today was built by my great grandfather, Michael Razer. It's a copper vessel, uh, copper vessel brew house on, on two levels. So you have the elevated laudering tons so that you can lauder with natural gravity rather than pumping system. And um, decoction method is, is the uh, uh, original form. Like you, you add the flavors through the boil of the mash and you, you deepen the color a bit. So no, we have not experimented with infusion. Um, I also see that from a historic point of view. So uh, maybe that's interesting for you or for some for, for some of the listeners. Uh, you know that in a in a typical mashing process, you need that terrace kind of form temperature line that you run through a certain temperature and you break and then you heat up again and then you break again. So um, have you ever wondered how old brewers would do that? Um, uh, in, in historic times, because you need that mashing system in order to give the enzymes time to break down the starch into sugar, which then you need in the fermentation. In the fermentation, but historically, there was no thermometers. Thermometer was invented in 1714 by Daniel Fahrenheit, a German who had emigrated to the United States and was working for a brewery there. And when you want to do a sugar break at, say, 62 degrees, how do you know it's 62 degrees? You put your finger inside uh, with the finger. You cannot ascertain the number, uh, the temperature exactly to that level. So um, historic brewing was done in a different way. Um, they all had decoction mash back then. And they would measure that by volume. So the, the principle is uh, when you boil a liquid, it always gonna have 100 degrees Celsius because any excess energy will go into the evaporation process. So you can change the temperature jump measurement through a volume measurement. When you take uh, um, the entire kettle and start at room temperature, which is usually around 20 degrees Celsius. And then you bring half of it to the boil, just as an example. And then you mix those two parts together. You have 20 and 100 and you meet in the middle, which is 60 degrees Celsius. So 
you can replace thermit, uh, a thermometer by a volume measurement. And this is what the old brewing recipes were. The old brewing recipes were the first decoction is five buckets. The second decoction is seven buckets. And the th third decoction is going to be 10 buckets. So obviously, Brewer did not know to what temperature um, uh, the, uh, the mash would jump and, yeah. and at what temperature enzymes would work because temperature didn't even exist. I mean, the first thermometer, Daniel Fahrenheit, the name says it, it was the Fahrenheit scale. Yeah, Celsius came much later. Celsius wasn't invented till the 19th century. Um, the old brewing recipes I have from my great-great-great-grandfather, -grand uh, they're in not in uh, degree Celsius, they're in degree Riomir, which was uh, the unit at the time. So you need to recalculate that. So all these old recipes were bucket recipes um, or Schöpfrezepte in German, they call it, like when, when you take a scoop and you take a certain amount of the mash out and you bring that to the yeah. boil. And I want to emulate this historic beer making um, and that's why I will always stay with the decoction mesh because it doesn't make sense to to move that to that modern approach because it will alter flavor. You you can to a certain degree emulate a decoction flavor when you use um, certain malts. Um, the the big industry maltings now they offer certain malts uh, in which you can so to say have an emulated decoction taste. But um, as long as we have the historic uh, uh, brew house, I don't see a reason to change that now. That was a Thank wonderful you. question, Benjamin. That's... Thanks for asking it. And um, such a wonderfully detailed that. answer. Um, everything yeah. you've said tonight, we've learned so much from. Uh, Shana, can I ask you to unmute? It feels uh, both a little bit surreal, but also fantastic that we go from questions from North Carolina, uh, questions from Sweden, and a question from Footscray, which is the suburb next to the suburb that I'm sitting in at the moment. Um, Shana, thanks for all of your support over the years of The Cool Room, uh, and ask your question, please. Oh, I'm a little bit afraid now, Matthias. I'm, my question is not as advanced. But you were talking about your children and also about a number of breweries that need the next generation to take over and how that can end because of Germany's, let's not say population problems, but the, the, the way that they decide to reproduce. Um, do they do I'm it just, in a different way to how we reproduce, Shana? Is there, is there something? Um, I, I don't want to talk about baby bonuses. Uh, okay, I understand. <laughs> it's just, just, just to say, it's not a, a, a particular German problem. All the Western industrialized countries have a birth rate less than two. I think the only exceptions are uh, Denmark, uh, probably the United States, and to my knowledge, the Vatican for some interesting twist of history. No, I'm, but, uh, I was going I'm to ask the... about the overlap of uh, church and state and brewing before, but let's move past that yeah. very quickly. They're, they're going to cut this out, but I was making fun of Australia because we were giving money to people having children because we weren't having enough children. Which oh, same was... here. Oh, okay. Same here. Oh, same thing. There we are. Look at that. <laughs> But you, you talked about uh, your children who you have taking over. Are you concerned that they might try and be more modern or keep things the same or even become more traditional? Like, where, where do you think they'll go? Um, 
considering the age they have at the moment, I have no clue. I mean, there's so many things that can happen in, in the next 15 or 20 years until one of them takes over. Uh, in any way, they will have to find their way and how to uphold Schwenkela. And uh, tradition certainly is uh, the, the, the key uh, specialty what Schwenkela is about. So turning that into a hip new, new uh, craft brewery probably would not be of economic advantage. But you basically always have to say, uh, look at the times, what they are. Um, smoke beer was always the, the basis, of course, uh, that was always there. But the most important part of our business is actually our own brewery pub. Um, we have uh, almost 100 people uh, working for Schlenkel and staff and uh, three quarters of that work in the brewery pub. And that's uh, the biggest outlet of our own beer. That's the biggest uh, revenue um, part of the, of the business. And in the tavern, a lot of changes have happened in the last 200 years. Nowadays, food plays a very important role. A lot of people come for the traditional Franconian food. They also have the beer, of course. Um, that was not always the case. I have balanced scorecards from our company back till the 19, 1930s. And in the 1930s, more revenue was made with tobacco than with food at Schlenkerla Tavern. So almost no one came for eating at those times to brewery pubs. They just came for drinking and smoking. Today, today, nobody smokes anymore because there's a smoking ban in taverns. Yeah, so um, things like that change. I know my great grandmother in the 1920s tried to do a very elaborate kitchen with uh, fancy food and that, which was the thing in the 20s. Yeah, the 20s were a thing of the style. You know, after World War One, everybody wanted to live again in that. After World War II, my grandmother, um, that was a time of need. Everything was scarce. Um, uh, it was hard to get raw materials for 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 brewing, but also for for uh, for making food. So she had a very stripped down menu, only the basics. Not even dumplings were available. It was just you know potatoes and meat basically. And uh, my mother then again, she she was head of the tavern in in her time. She transformed the tavern into that. Um, traditional Franconian food, which a lot of visitors of town also uh, enjoy and favor. Um, so yeah, I think in the tavern, um, there can be changes. Um, the constant thing will be the smoke beer from the wooden barrel, but anything else, open for debate, of course. When you say, and I, I feel bad because I'm adding an extra question, but Franconian food, what is traditional Franconian food? Um, if you go to our website, schlenkela.com, there's uh, a menu point called recipes. So you can find some recipes there which you can uh, try at home uh, together with, with a smoked beer. Um, it's everything quite meat-oriented, uh, historic meat, meat foods. Um, you have beer knuckles, uh, uh, you have uh, pork shoulder. That's a very typical thing, uh, shoulder, uh, roast uh, with um, crispy. Uh, skin on it. And a very typical dish here is the Bamberg style onion. Um, Bamberg is not only, only beer town, it's also a gardener's town. And the Bamberg gardeners are called the onion stumpers. And um, uh, the, the Bamberg onions are larger than elsewhere. Um, they're vegetable onions, a little bit milder in flavor. And these vegetable onions, they're carved out uh, so that they're hollow inside for the preparation of the dish. And then they're, uh, um, they're filled with minced meat and pork belly. 
the, uh, this onion then is roasted in the oven for a couple of hours, gets a piece of bacon, a smoked beer sauce, and mashed potatoes. And it really goes well with a classic Märzen smoked beer. So that's a very traditional dish here from, from the area. I've never found something similar elsewhere. And um, so, yeah, there's uh, a number of local local foods, um, which, which is interesting for the visitors and the locals. I have to say, Jules from Sheffield was about to ask a question about food, and I think you answered that along the way. But uh, Jules, great to have someone online, first of all, from Sheffield tonight, uh, and uh, a great question. Sippo Rocker, are you able to unmute Sippo? You, I was, you just asked the question in the chat. We'll make this our very last sort of question. Um, but if you can unmute Sippo, please tell us where you're from and, uh, and ask your question. Oh, it's fascinating. I didn't know this. Hello, yes, I'm from Finland. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, so it's midday here. I must say I briefly met Matthias two weeks ago. I was in this Urbok Anstig uh, with my friends. So it was two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, so my question is that you have pistillate products as well, Ilo Schnapps. So do you distill them yourself? You have a distillery or does it come from a third party somewhere? And um, is, it old, yep. is it old beer? That's my actual my main question. Is it old beer or something that you cannot sell as beer? Or is it made on purpose? Great question. Thanks for joining us from Finland. Thanks. Okay. Uh, so to explain to the viewers, yes, there is a distilled Schlenkerler. There's two versions of that. There's a classic beer brand or distilled beer made out of smoked beer. But we also have a version where we lager that in barrels and we add smoke malt during uh, the lagering of the, uh, of the spirit. So it gets similar to, to, to whiskeys. It gets um, uh, uh, an amber color and a strong smoky aroma and flavor, but not through toasted barrels, but through the smoke malt. And um, um, we use, like, we don't have our own distillery, like, we don't have a distilling right. Uh, also, the capacity or the amount of, of uh, liquid or of a spirit we need per year wouldn't be enough to run our own distillery. So, yes, this is done for us. Also, because we export it in, in uh, small amounts, and for exporting spirits, you need, again, a special distillery with a special distilling right. So, that's all very complicated in Germany. So, we have a partner doing that for us. And um, the beer is actually uh, not directly brewed for the distilling process, but it is leftover beer, not spoiled or rotten beer. That doesn't have much flank color. But um, when you, uh, uh, um, when you've been at the tavern, you saw that we tapped the beer from the wooden barrels. And at the end of the day, it often happens that there's a little, be a little bit beer left in the wooden barrel. And you cannot pour that the next day because it will oxidize overnight. It will go stale. Uh, the carbonation would go out. So the beer is perfectly fine, apart from the fact that uh, the carbonation is not okay anymore. And these leftovers from the wooden barrels, that's what we use um, to make our uh, uh, smoked beer spirit. And also the um, excess fill from uh, the filling operation. So when you fill barrels, you have like an overrun, basically. Um, perfectly fine beer, but uh, again, decarbonated. That's not something you can use elsewhere. Um, I think other breweries sometimes use that for the mashing process to, to regain the extract. Um, we decided to give it to a distillery and make the Schwenkeler spirit out of it because I think it's a nice combination in the overall portfolio and especially the smoke mold aged version uh, um, that's really something 
again in the evening at at a, at the end of a good meal, um, like a good cognac, you you can enjoy that smoke aroma and and, and flavor in in the smoke malt age uh, Schlenkeler Brand. In a few moments' time, I'm going to stop the recording. Uh, the room will remain open. So for everyone who's joining us for the first time, uh, either on the podcast or live uh, in the Zoom room, this is one of the best bits uh, of being live with us uh, in Australia and around the world. We stop recording. Very honest conversations happen at that point. I'm not sure how much more time Matthias has, but I would like to say a very, very, very sincere thank you. Uh, everyone in the chat is posting how important and fun this has been. Uh, for me, having loved your beers for years and years and years, uh, I visited the brewery in 2006, I think. Uh, so the idea that many years later that I'd be able to talk uh, to the brewers and the owners, I would never have imagined at the time. Uh, so this has been fantastic. Uh, for people who are joining us for the first time, we do this at about the same time, three or four nights uh, a month on a Thursday night, Australian time. Next week, we have Slow Lane from Sydney on. Uh, we've also got Double Vision from New Zealand coming. I think we've got Bright Brewery, which is just down the road from Nathan at King River. Uh, we've got a lot of fun breweries coming up uh, over the next couple of months. If you're overseas and you'd like to taste some of these beers, just jump onto our Facebook or email coolroompodcast at gmail. We found some ways to do some of those things. Um, it's obviously not cheap, but if you'd like to taste some Australian beers, whether they're German-style Australian beers, or whether they are uh, some of the more experimental things that we're doing here in Australia. We love to share those. Uh, keep tuning in, but let's go back to the point and say, Matthias, your time tonight, you've been so generous and your knowledge, uh, not just of your brewery, but of brewing in general, where it's been wonderful, wonderful hours that we've spent with you. David, thank you so much for having Schlenkala uh, and me here on the show and giving me the time to tell a little bit about the historic way of, of making smoked beer. And I hope uh, everybody in, uh, enjoyed the little talk we had today and also more importantly, of course, the smoked beer. So maybe you can Schlenker later on uh, into your bed or <laughs> into the neighborhood and spread the word on smoked beer. Um, we have an importer in, in, in Australia. It's uh, Phoenix Beers, so it's available. Well certain areas mm -hmm. and um, I'd like to conclude with um, uh, my personal living motto basically or maybe the Schlenkerler motto it's uh, I found it somewhere on the internet it's an old proverb and um, it basically says that upholding tradition does not mean to to preserve or conserve the ashes it means to uh, pass on the fire and to keep the fire burning and I think in a very little meaning that is what we do at the Schlenkerler uh, smoke beer brewery and um, I, I just hope that I, that I was able to convey that motto to you a little bit and that maybe you can help by keeping to drink Schlenkala and and uh, preserving this old smoke beer tradition in, in the long run. Thank you very much. We will preserve that tradition. We will preserve it uh, not just for many years to come, and hopefully people come and enjoy this podcast for many years to come, but we'll preserve it for the next hour or two as we drink through the rest of our tasting pack. Jump onto our Cool Room Shopify so that you can have the beers we've talked about. Uh, the Erbach and the Krausen are also in there. Uh, 
And please, if you're in the Zoom room right now with us, stick around. We will uh, we will have some fun chats. I'd love to hear the stories that everyone from around the world has. Uh, thank you for joining us, Mr. Warren Wu, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, see you next week. Thank you. Thank you again, Matthias. It was amazing. Thank you. It, it was gladly great. done.